night many, many years ago. And thank you for that welcome. <laughs> I promise now that um, you will hear the most boring sermon you've ever heard. Well, I'm going to be preaching from one of the most boring passages in the Scripture. How, how good is that? <laughs> but we'll get to that. Today I'm going to be talking about the goodness of God. And uh, we sang that song first up, so it's very apt. And we're going to be looking uh, at a few different stories, but primarily the story about uh, Ruth and Naomi. Now, Ruth is sort of known normally as kind of uh, one of these great love stories, but it's more than that. And I'm not going to talk about that part of it because I believe it's a great story God's been showing me of hope and restoration. It's a very short book and afterwards I encourage you to go home and read it because we're only going to look at a little bit of it, but just read the whole story. Um, so today might actually feel a little bit more like a Bible study than a sermon. But I like this story because it really shows the nature of who God is. It's a little like the prodigal son story. Okay? It's different characters, um, but it's got that same heart because Ruth is uh, showing that she has a heart of restoration. And this is very interesting because she wasn't even part of the family of Israel. She was not a Jew. She is an outsider and for an outsider of the family of Israel to express the heart of God in the story about Israel in the Old Testament is kind of interesting. Ruth being an outsider showing the heart of God was kind of meant to be like a wake-up call to Israel. It's a story, even for us, to remind us, this is what you should be doing, guys. This is what you should be doing, bringing the heart of restoration to people. And as you read the story of Ruth, Ruth, God doesn't even get a mention, really, you know. Um, Ruth doesn't probably even know much about God, apart from what she's connected with Naomi. And Naomi doesn't mention God in a good way at all, really, you know. Naomi complains a lot. In fact, she even says, I'm being punished by God. So I hope you'll get to see that as we look at this, there's a, some really good um, nature of God coming, there's real good nature of God coming through. Okay, but first I want to look at the most boring passage of Scripture uh, you'll ever read. So should we read it together? <laughs> this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, son of Abraham. Who knows where I'm reading from? This is the book of Matthew. This is the very opening phrase of the New Testament. Um, now, Ruth is mentioned in this genealogy. Abraham, the father of Isaac, blah, 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 blah. And there's Ruth. <laughs> okay? I'm not going to bore you. All right? Now, we sort of look at this and it's like Ruth gets a mention here. So does four other women in the book of, first book of Matthew. Now, this is intentional as a kind, what's Matthew doing here? It's like a kind of shock value. The, he, Matthew is a Jew and he's writing to Jews 
about the story of Jesus. He's trying to prove that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one you've been waiting for. But then he goes out of his way to include women into this genealogy of Jesus. Okay? And not just any women, even Ruth, who's an outsider to the story of God, to the long history of God. So what, what's Matthew doing by doing this? For starters, what he's, he's, he's doing it the way it should be, really. Male and female equality. There's some gender restoration going on here. God created Adam and Eve equal in his own image. And now we know things go astray. And um, fast forward a little bit, and then we get to the story of Noah. Okay? And the story of Noah is like a symbolic retelling of the seven days of creation. Okay? It's like a reset moment. Now, um, there's seven symbolic creation moments in the story of Noah. But what actually is relevant here is that God says to Noah, um, go into the ark, you and your sons, and your wife and your sons' wives behind them. But come out of the ark with your wife beside you and your son and your son's wives behind you. So God's trying to get this party restarted. But what happens, it then goes on and says, Noah comes out of the ark with his sons beside him and his wife and his sons behind him. So Noah kind of blows it, okay? So we have to wait until the restoration comes through Jesus. You know, in Galatians 3.28, it talks about in Christ, you know, there is neither male nor female. Okay, we are all one in Christ. So Matthew is kind of picking up on that gender equality. But there's more going on here. Okay, so that's just one of the little things. He's also trying to show that outsiders are welcome in, into the story of Jesus. We kind of look at this, we don't want to look at that yet. Go back to the genealogy, the boring part, please. So we've got some people down there. We've got Rahab. We've got Ruth. We've got um, Tamar. Now, if you don't know the story of those, we'll get to that just a little bit. But these are women that are outside the family of God, most of them. Some are inside, some are outside. And some of them also have a lot of difficult stories. Rahab was living in the wall of Jericho, working as a prostitute. You know the story when Joshua was about to invade Jericho? We also have Tamar, who was waiting for Jacob to restore her into the family of God um, after her husband died and eventually has to trick Jacob and ends up, uh, Jacob ends up fathering Perez, who goes on to be the father of Boaz, or the great-grandfather of Boaz, I think. Also, which isn't on this slide, we have, uh, it talks about the wife of Ur, which was Bathsheba. So Bathsheba becomes the, the wife of King David. And 
who effectively, she then fathers Solomon. And David, then she then becomes David's wife and effectively murders Ur. So there's a whole bunch of these difficult stories that Matthew is picking up on and he's kind of just inserting them into the life story of God and saying this is the genealogy that Jesus, and it's an interesting start to the book of Matthew, okay, because Jesus gets a reputation, okay, of hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. So Matthew, as a good Jew, writing to the Jews of the first century, has an agenda here. He's manufacturing this genealogy, you know, it's intended as a shock value. And we kind of read it just as like a genealogy. Women were never mentioned in genealogies in the Old Testament. So, there's another woman that's mentioned in Matthew 1, and that's Mary, the mother of Jesus. Well, Mary wasn't really an outsider, was she? So, the story of a heavily pregnant woman, not married, going back to her hometown where her family lives, and she has to sleep in the barn. Not one person in their family gave up their bed for Mary. How's she being treated? We have kind of sanitized the story, I think, you know, no room at the inn. Okay, but I'll let you guys ponder that later. My point is, Matthew is going out of the way to include the mess. Within the story of Jesus' genealogy, all these people, all these women, and their stories as well. It's not just a list of names of Jesus' history. He's including all of their stories, all of their character that goes with it. And he's kind of saying, Jesus welcomes the ostracized from society. He welcomes the outcast into his story, into the long story of God. So, back to Ruth. Ruth was an outsider from the land of Moab. Okay, so she was a Moabite. And the Moabites were a ruthless people. Ruthless? Never mind, never mind. I threw that in to see if you're awake, anyway. The Moabites were vicious. They were cruel. They were not the nicest of people. The Moabites came from a guy called Moab, obviously. Now, Moab was the son of Lot. And in Deuteronomy 23, so there's, there's kind of a, a connection there. Because, um, you know, Lot was part of the, Abraham's family. But in Deuteronomy 23, basically they get cast out. All right? No Moabite is able to worship at the temple. They did some bad stuff. So Moabites were, were pretty ruthless. They were pretty vicious type of people. And Ruth was a Moabite. So she was owning this kind of reputation as a Moabite. And she was not allowed into the family of Israel. 
So this is kind of why, you know, the setting, like why the book of Ruth can be a little bit controversial because how can Ruth be seen to act with the heart of God? She's not part of the family. She is an outsider. Okay. Now the first thing we also have to realize is in the Old Covenant, God made a place for the outsiders. And in fact, he gave them certain rules that they had to follow. And these were rules that taught them how to look after the outcast and the outsider. So when they harvested the fields, they weren't allowed to cut the corners. So the foreigner could come and glean and gather from the harvest. And if they dropped a bushel of wheat or barley or whatever, um, they weren't allowed to pick it up. So there was some extra. So, you know, you see the story of Boaz. He's purposely dropping stuff. You know, he's find favour with Ruth. But this idea of looking after the outcast and the outsider was written into the law. God was using the law to teach the people of Israel how to treat outsiders, how to treat the foreigners. And Israel was meant to show uh, that love of God to outsiders, to show love to other people. They were meant to be God's ambassadors. Okay? And you know, when an ambassador, he goes to another country okay, to represent that country, what that country's like. And as God's ambassadors, they are meant to represent the goodness of God okay, and show that love to all people. Now, you know, there's good stories and there's bad stories. But the point is, you know, God is making room for the outsider and he's trying to teach Israel how to be a good ambassador. We're going to read the first chapter of Ruth. So that should be on the slide. Now that we've got that sort of in our thinking. So during the time of the judges, there was a famine in the land. A man left Bethlehem in Judah with his wife and two sons to live in the land of Moab for a while. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. The names of his two sons were Marlon and Chilion. They were Ephrates from Bethlehem in Judah. They entered the land of Moab and settled there. Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died, and she was left with her two sons. Her two sons took Moabite women as their wives, one named Orpah and the other was named Ruth. After they lived in Moab about ten years, both Marlon and Kilion, their sons, Naomi's sons, died, and Naomi was left without her children and without her husband. She and her daughters-in-law prepared to leave the land of Moab because she had heard in Moab that the Lord had paid attention to his people's need by providing them food. She left the place where she'd been living, where she'd been living, accompanied by her two daughters-in-law, and travelled along the road leading back to the land of Judah. Each of you go back to your mother's home. May the Lord show faithful love to you as you have shown to the dead and to me. May the Lord enable each of you to find security in the house of your new husband. She kissed them and they wept loudly. 
No, they said to her, we will go with you to your people. Naomi replied, return home, my daughters. Why do you want to go with me? Am I able to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. Go on, I am too old to have another husband. Even though, uh, even if I thought there was still hope for me to have a husband tonight and to bear sons, would you be willing to wait for them to grow up? Would you restrain yourselves from remarrying? No, my daughters, my life is much too bitter for you to share because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Again, they wept loudly and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to your people and to her God. Follow your sister-in-law. But Ruth replied, do not persuade me to leave you or to go back or follow, nor follow you. For wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do this to me, and even more, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped trying to persuade her. The two of them came and traveled until they came to Bethlehem. When they entered Bethlehem, the whole town was excited about their arrival. And the local women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. She answered, For the Almighty has made me very bitter. I left full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has pronounced judgment on me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi came back from the land of Moab with her, daughters, with her daughter-in-law, Ruth, the Moabitess. They arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of harvest. Pretty difficult story. So, Naomi... Marries Elimelech, has two sons, and when a famine comes to the land, they move to the land of Moab to get some food. And this is where Ruth and Orpah meet the two sons of Naomi. The sons end up dying. Naomi has, you know, her circumstances are bad. All right, but now she hears. But the famine is over in Israel and she decides to go back, all right? And she's like, you girls, just go back home. You know, I'm going to go back home, you go back home. It's been a hard life. But Ruth insisted, you know, she says, I'm going to go with you. Now, the story doesn't really say why. Could be Ruth had nothing to go back to. Uh, or it could be just Ruth's love for Naomi, and she saw something that she needed to bind herself to. Could be both. Could be a number of reasons. But whatever it was, Naomi had become really bitter, and really bitter with God because of her circumstances. Now, the name Naomi means pleasant. She'd lost her husband, so she's saying, God this did this to me. God is punishing me. She surmises that. So she changes her name to Mara, which basically means bitter. And she starts to isolate herself by saying, you girls go away, I'm going back, you girls go away. 
Now, this word Mara means bitter. There's a story um, in the Exodus, okay, that kind of gives some um, understanding to why she does this. You see, at the story of Mara, um, the people were coming out of Egypt. So they just crossed the Red Sea and they just sung the song of Miriam and thanked God, okay, for rescuing them from the Egyptians. And then they start complaining about water. And Moses says, okay, God's going to lead you to water. And God leads the people of Israel. So this is before they get to Mount Sinai. This is all before the law. So they've just come across the Red Sea and they start complaining about water and God leads them and they go through this place called Mara. And they're walking along and they see some water in a pond and the water is bad. Okay, it's probably got a dead animal in it or it's just stagnant. We don't really know. But the water's bad. And they declare, God has led us to this water to kill us effectively. Does that make sense? This is, is this what God's like? They connected what was before their eyes with the nature of God. They looked at their circumstances and said, God did this to me. How often do we look at our circumstances and say, God did this to me? How often do we look at what's right in front of us and say, God must be punishing me? And it's kind of silly. They look at the dead water and they surmise this is what's going on. Okay? God must have done this. You know, he must have rescued us for some bizarre reason from all those Egyptians and led us to a stinky bog. That is not the case. And if we feel like this sometimes, maybe we need a revelation of the goodness of God like these people do, like Naomi did. God was leading them to a place of provision. The very next line in the scripture, it says, they came to Elam where there was 12 springs of water and 70 date palms. Theologians people smarter than me say this was probably one to two hundred meters around the corner from the stinky bog they were so focused on what was their circumstance rather than focusing on and partnering with God now what's really interesting is 12 springs and 70 date palms 70 date palms 70 was the number of the descendants of Jacob so it's symbolically, the writer is kind of saying, he's looking after all you guys because all you guys are descended from Jacob. Twelve springs, that's an obvious one. Twelve tribes. He's wanting to provide for everyone. God was not leading them to a stinky bog. He was leading them to an oasis. Okay, It was just around the corner. This is the heart of God. Okay, and they were lucky they didn't focus on their circumstances, okay, because they would have died there. God did this to us. 
Really? And possibly we need a revelation of the goodness of God too. We need a revelation that when bad stuff happens, when circumstances happen, it's not God. That's the first thing. And this is what Naomi was relating to when she said she was bitter. Now, I'm not saying it's Naomi's fault or anything like that. What I'm saying is that she was consumed by her circumstances. They were bad. She was consumed by them. And she lost sight of the goodness of God. She ended up in a spiral that caused herself to isolate herself, push people away, and blame God. God's punishing me. And she starts pushing people away. Your bad circumstances is not God punishing you. And she starts pushing people away and isolating herself. You know what God's very good at? Scott spoke about it. David is very passionate about it. God is very good at fighting battles. Invite him into the battle. Invite him into your circumstances. Invite him into your isolation. Don't isolate yourself. You know what else God is very good at? Empowering and helping us. Empowering us through circumstances. He empowers people in the scripture through their circumstances. Okay, we see that again and again and again. A few examples. In the book of Acts, the disciples, um, it says something like, I didn't look this up, so don't quote me. Um, the next day, persecution broke out. So they just had this amazing revival or whatever it was. I can't remember. And the next day. So they get together and pray, Holy Spirit, empower us. Okay, so that we can speak even more boldly. Wow. You know, Paul had this, like, thorn in the flesh. I'm not going to get into what it is, but it's most likely a group of people that didn't like him. He's, he prayed three times, and God says, I'm not going to take it away. I'm going to empower you to get through this. Jesus in the garden before the cross is sweating blood. And, and they come to this point, you know, not my will, Lord, but your will be done. And so let me say that again. So Jesus was about to go to the cross. Um, so he's in the garden. And the father said, he says to him, not my will, but yours be done. All right. So he's about to go to the cross. And what happens is that it says that a ministering angel comes and empowers Jesus so he can go through the cross. And in my speak, that's like the father came and gave him a hug. And he said, I am not going to leave you, Jesus. This is difficult. We are going through this together. And in 2 Corinthians 5.19, it, it, it confirms that. It says, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And you know, when, when Jesus was talking to his disciples in John 16, he goes on and says, 
you guys, you know what? All you disciples, you're going to abandon me. But he says, you know what? That's okay. It's okay. Because I've got the Father. I've got the Father empowering me, with me, to help me get through my circumstances. And these are some of the most powerful tools we have as Christians. Don't isolate yourself. God is very good at fighting battles. Invite him into the battle. Invite him into your circumstances. And he is also very good at empowering you to get through these circumstances. Naomi had turned very bitter. She had isolated herself and focused on her circumstances. But Ruth enters the story, and Ruth is an outsider who's kind of acting like an agent of the Holy Spirit. You know, essentially the comforter who walks alongside Naomi, binds herself to Naomi, and brings about the story of Naomi's restoration. She, re- she meets, Ruth meets Boaz, and Naomi sort of, there's hope. Ruth is bringing restoration to Naomi, and she is like a picture of the Holy Spirit walking alongside Naomi. Have a read of the story. It's a great story, and let God show you a few things. Let's move on to that last uh, slide. Thanks, Wayne. See, this is what I pick up on when I read this story. Outsiders, outcasts are welcome, okay, into the story of God. There was always provision made. There's more provision now, okay, in Christ. But there was, more prov- there was provision under the law. God was trying to teach them. Sometimes you need a Ruth to be like an agent of the Holy Spirit. You know, sometimes you have to be a Ruth to bring outcasts back into the story of God. Ruth is acting like the Holy Spirit. She is like the comforter, showing the heart and character of God towards Naomi. Sometimes we, we need to bind ourselves to people. Okay, as agents of the Holy Spirit. Our circumstances are not God's punishment. God is very good at bringing you out of circumstances. He's very good. Invite him into the battle. Invite him to empower you. This is the model that we have in Scripture. Invite him into your circumstances. Don't get focused on the stinky bog. Lastly, what's the last one? God, I said that one. God empowers us to walk through our circumstances. Just like Paul, he didn't take it away. He empowered Paul to walk through it. Okay? We are in a battle, and our God is good at fighting battles. You know, that's why we believe in healing in this place. We invite the Holy Spirit into people's circumstances. We don't. God does not want to leave people in their circumstances. So perhaps, you know, we need either a revelation of God's goodness in our heart to then be able to invite 
the power of the Holy Spirit and know that goodness is just going to flow and flow through power of healing. Why don't you stand with me? That's all I got to say. Let's pray.